0: It's great to see you all here this morning, even back there in the back. Good to see you. I see you back there. Man, what an exciting time in Solid Rock Church history. We are celebrating 20 years today, and uh, yeah, <laughs> 20 years. We made it. We're still just a young church um, for from 1982 to 1996. This was actually, this campus was a West location for First Baptist of so White Settlement, and then in 1996, reconstituted as solid rock and that's been our name since then and uh those of you who've been around for the last five six seven years it's been quite the journey hasn't it the amazing work that god has been doing in our lives individually but then the amazing work he's doing collectively uh here in the church and so if you're visiting with us we're excited that you're here this morning um, we hope that if you're looking for a church home that God will lead you to become part of the Salt Rock family. We genuinely mean that. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, which is becoming harder and harder these days, that's okay. Um, please come track me down after the service. I'd love to get to know you, to hear your name, to forget it, and then to see you back next week to hear it again. So it takes about six times, right, before I remember it, but it's um, truly really an honor just to be here with you um, and, and excited about what God is doing. We are seeing so much growth in our church, spiritually speaking. Um, We're seeing um, captives set free. We're seeing uh, marriages that look like they're beyond hope, um, being restored and being redeemed. And, And we're seeing all these amazing things happen. We're seeing the church grow. Um, it isn't our ambition to become the next mega church in Fort Worth. Um, our desire is to become the, the beacon of hope to this community that God wants us to be. And we know that the brighter we shine, the more folks are going to show up. So we're going to keep making room, pushing chairs as far back as we can. Um, if In the hallway, you see we have building plans. That's still a long ways off. Um, we're hoping to launch our fundraising campaign the first part of next year. And then depending on how that goes, that'll determine when we actually build. So until then... Let's just hold on tight, keep making room, uh, and just continue enjoying what God is doing. One of the great ways of celebrating what God is doing is by looking at individual stories. And so we've been doing that this summer with the Redemption Stories Sermon Series. And it's been so exciting. Those of you who've shared your story, let me just personally say thank you for being vulnerable and courageous enough to share your story and what God is doing in your life. And, uh, and if you've missed those, um, most of those are available on our website. If you go to the website, um, srchurch.tv, go to resources and look for redemption stories, you can go back and revisit those or catch the ones that you missed. Um, we're going we're gonna to end the sermon series today with, um, with one of our members sharing his story. I'm excited about that. And so um, let's go ahead and open to Luke 15 in our Bibles. Luke 15 um, in the New Testament You've got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. So if you find Mark, you're almost there. If you get to John or Acts, you've gone too far. Go back to the left. We're going to be in chapter 15. We're going to be looking at a really popular and well known story of what a lot of people call the story of the prodigal son. Okay, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we get to the story of what a lot of people refer to as the prodigal son, let's talk about the Bible in general. One of the struggles that I think we have as Bible readers is that we we open the Bible looking for ourselves. And a lot of people have a hard time finding themselves in the pages of the Bible. And here's why. Because primarily the Bible isn't about you. Primarily the Bible isn't about me. Primarily the Bible is about God. And so when we open the Bible, there are a lot of uh, applications that we can draw out for our personal lives, There's a lot of uh, descriptions of of who we are before Christ and now in Christ, the benefits we have as being God's children, but the Bible is first and foremost the story of God. And in in the middle of the story we get to the Gospels and Jesus appears as the hero of the story. Now I'll say all that to say that when we talk about redemption stories, what we're talking about is first of all your individual story, the story that is being written with your life. And when we say redemption story, we're talking about that point in your journey, in your life, in your story, where you've surrendered over the authorship to Jesus and you've asked him to write a better story with your life than you can write yourself. And at that moment, not only does he take over the authorship, he becomes the hero of your story. See, Jesus is the hero of the Bible, and he desires to be the hero of our individual stories, bringing redemption out of ruin, bringing beauty out of ashes, bringing restoration and healing out of brokenness. Today, we're gonna look at Luke 15. And and, and, and this parable that Jesus teaches is historically called the parable of the prodigal. Yeah, you've heard of it. But see, I think that that, title needs to be adjusted and I would rather call it and I believe more accurately it should be called the parable of the loving father because see I don't think it's primarily about us as much as it is about God let's look at this together starting in verse 11 Jesus is speaking and he said there was a man who had two sons And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So let me just give you a little help. This is a parable. This was a teaching tool that Jesus used a lot to teach truths about the kingdom so that we in our feeble uh, mindsets could understand beautiful, amazing, greater truths. Now, there's some caution here, though. Parables are different from what we would call allegory, okay? And this is going to help us understand the parable today. Allegory is is the use of of an illustration, and everything in an allegory is meant to be interpreted. Every character, everything that happens. And so allegories are meant to be somewhat mysterious and, and to be thick with interpretation. Parables are not meant to be that way. They're meant to be simple illustrations that communicate a primary truth, Jesus isn't trying to trick us here. He's not trying to be mysterious and and, and, and somewhat ambiguous. There is a primary theme that will come out of a parable to illustrate a greater truth. Now, most often, these greater truths are exposed in a contrast in the parable. The contrast between what you would expect to happen versus what actually happens. And so we've gotta be cautious not to get too caught up in all the details and characters, okay? So now that being said, Jesus has opened up a parable to us and he's introduced us to three characters so far, a father and two sons. And he's told us something specific about one of the sons, the one whom a lot of people call the prodigal son, who at first glance seems to be the primary character of the story at this point, right? He's the primary one acting here. And this is what we've learned about him. For whatever reason, This particular son has a rebellious heart and and a a prideful sense of wanting to do things on his own so much that he would be so arrogant to come to his dad, who at this point we don't know a lot about, but he had some, some sort of inheritance to give to his boys. And this rebellious son in his arrogance has come to his dad and said, Dad, I want my stuff. I want what is due to me. And indirectly saying what? I want to do this thing on my own. I want to take what's mine, and I want to leave, and I want to do this thing on my own. Now, we're going to continue to follow the story. Verse 13. Not many days later. I can imagine, right? Not many days later. Not many days later, the younger, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And as might be expected, there he squandered his property in reckless living. So the father has consented and said, you can have your inheritance. Not many days later, they didn't mess around. The son quickly packed his stuff, went on a journey to a foreign country, and he was living pretty large. He was rolling through the money, rolling through it, just squandering it on Reckless living. He was having a good time from his perspective. Okay? Now, probably in our minds, we have a vision of what this might have looked like, and a lot of those visions are driven by our own experiences of squandering a lot of wealth and having a good time. Reckless living. Now, as the story would have it, he runs out of money. No, 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 uh, nothing catches us off guard about that, right? Very predictable. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, now what we weren't expecting is this, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So one of the first things that we see Jesus want to teach us is about the great need of this son. Not only did he run out of money, but the society that he was living in was struggling too, So it wasn't like he could just go find a job or or beg from people. Everybody was hurting, and he was out of money. So to say that he was in need is putting it lightly. Now, look at verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Okay? Okay. Now, in this culture, this would have been a really important detail for us to understand. Because for these folks, pigs were the dirtiest of all animals. Not just like physically dirty, but even considered spiritually dirty. You didn't want to be associated with being a pig farmer or the person who fed the pigs or tended to the pigs. Now, here's the thing. I don't like pigs either. Now, he had gotten what Jesus is teaching us is here's what he happened. He went from having plenty of wealth and contentment and security in his father's home to doing things on his own. And he quickly hit the bottom of bottoms. He's taking the lowest job in this culture now. It's how desperate he is. Not only that, look at verse 16. Jesus wants us to imagine how hungry and desperate he was. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now, I'm not going to exaggerate this point. Have you ever been around pigs? They are nasty. Nasty, nasty. It amazes me that we show those things at stock shows. We give them baths. Have you ever been to a stock show? They try to clean up a pig. You can't keep a pig clean, right? Like when you feed them, we call it slop. Why? Because it's sloppy, In just a few seconds, you can't distinguish between the food you just gave them and the mud and the fecal matter all getting, and they just keep on eating, big smile on their face. They're just tearing after it, right? Nasty creatures. (laughs) Just as nasty in Jesus's illustration here when he says that this guy had gone from the top of the top to the absolute rock bottom. Not only is he feeding pigs for a living, he's so hungry and desperate, he's thinking, Man, I would sure like to have that to eat. You, you feel the hyperbole there, the exaggeration there? Jesus is wanting to illustrate just how desperate this cat had become doing what? Living life on his own. And he become incredibly desperate. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Now, here's what's happened for this particular son. He has come to the end of himself. He's taken himself as far as he can take himself. He's hit what we like to call bottom. No other options here. Doesn't seem like it could. the only thing worse would be for me to die. I've, I've gone as low as I can go. My family is, I'm estranged with my family. I don't have any friends. I have no career path. I don't even have enough money to buy food better than what pigs eat. And it says he came to himself. Now, one of the things that we might do um, with this parable is we might begin to think about those people in our lives who, have hit bottom or whose lives right now are spiraling and we're hoping that they hit bottom you ever prayed that for somebody this is a hard prayer to pray isn't it oftentimes it's a tearful prayer to pray God please let them hit bottom their life is spiraling out of control but what we're going to learn through this parable is that this is not a parable about that person in your mind This is a parable about us. That each one of us has gone our own way. At some point, attempted to live life in our own strength. And the turning point in this parable is the turning point in our lives where we get to that place of desperation. You don't have to be poor, addicted to drugs, and living on the street to get there. That might happen, right? But in the parable, you and I are the ones hitting bottom, getting to the end of ourselves, getting to the end of how far you can take yourself with your own ambitions, your own strengths. You could be a highly successful person in this culture, wealthy at the top of your game, and still be the prodigal son in this parable, finding the end of yourself, finding that place where you realize you are not enough i give you example after example from our culture and society. I think about Michael Phelps' story just four years ago. Top of his game, right? Hard to imagine anybody doing any more in the Olympics than Michael Phelps, and he said he was going to retire, was going to walk away. What happened to him after that? He hit the spiral, didn't he? Drug and alcohol addiction, partying, squandering away, reckless living. And he got to a point so low that when he checked into rehab, he was struggling with suicidal thoughts. This is Michael Phelps, right? Like, top of the world. And it was a friend who gave him the purpose-driven life by Rick Warren that finally opened his eyes to see that there wasn't enough gold medals to fill that emptiness, that what was missing was God. You see, that's what it means to get to the end of yourself. Whether you're an Olympic gold medal winner or you're addicted to drugs living on the street. Or maybe you're just doing your own thing and you've got a nice house in the suburbs and your lawn is mowed and your wife's eyebrows look nice and and everything seems to be in order according to the American dream, right? But you could still hit bottom there. You can still get to the end of yourself. Sorry. (laughs) You can still get to that place though, right? Where you're empty on the inside and you realize I can't feel what's missing. And even if you make it to retirement, Right. Even if you make it to your deathbed with family around you who loves you, you can do nothing to secure your eternity and to provide a hope that lasts beyond this life. See, you can hit bottom without running out of money and living on the streets feeding pigs. We're the rebellious son in this story. And he came to the end of himself, and he realized He realized that there was a better place. He realized that there was a help outside of himself, and he turned back to his father. Look at the next verse. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired Servants. Now, before we get ready to read the main theme of this parable, let's think about the dad for just a minute. Put, try to put yourself in his shoes. Surely he warned his son. Sure, you want your inheritance, but here's the thing, right? When you spend it, it's gone. You, I know you think that you, I know you think that you're smart enough to do your own thing, right? Parents, their kids, trust me in this, and you impart wisdom to your kids. So now we try to think about how the dad's going to respond if this joker tries to go home. Right? I mean, dad would be justified in saying, I warned you. Right? I tried to talk you out of it. You want to do things on your own. I mean, it would be merciful for dad to say, you know what? I'll give you a job, and we'll test the waters there. We'll see how you do a little responsibility first before you get to come back and live in my house and take advantage of me again. I mean, right? Those would be... Justifiable, expected responses of even a loving father. And so in his mind, that's what the kid is thinking. I mean, if my dad will just give me a job, at least I won't have to eat what the pigs are eating. Verse 20. Verse 20, and I just feel like I'm way out on an interpretive limb here. Okay, I'm imagining Jesus telling this story because Jesus knows who the rebellious son is and he also knows who the loving father is. And Jesus loves to brag on the love of his father. So I just feel excitement building in the heart of Jesus as he gets to verse 20 at the turn in the story. Look at verse 20 with me. And so he, this is the rebellious son, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, this is the part of contrast, right? This is the part that should catch us off guard. Wait a second. That's not at all what I expected the dad to do, right? Not until we get some things in writing here, right? Not until we lay out some expectations, But this this kid had gotten so desperate, he knew. I don't know if my dad will take me back, but I do know that's the only hope I have is to go back to him. And I love that the father didn't wait for the son to make it all the way home, did he? And I think that's symbolic of, of God the father not expecting you to get your life cleaned up before he's willing to intervene and love you and embrace you and welcome you in. This ridiculous idea that somehow has been implanted in the mindset, especially here in the South, i got to clean my life up right before God will accept me. You hear people talking about that. Yeah, I need, to, I need to get back in church. I need to, right? And Or people will say, well, I would come to your church, but I don't, have, I don't have any church clothes. What is that? It's this false mindset that until we get our lives cleaned up and headed the right way, God wants nothing to do with us because that's what we would expect. But the contrast, the turn here is when the father does something we don't expect. He's sitting in expectation of the return of his son. And while the son is a long way off, how far off? I don't know. But remember, this cat doesn't have any money. How's he going to travel home? All we know is he turned to the father. And while he was a long way off, the father comes to him. So what does it look like for just a minute, practically speaking, to be the son and to turn to God? I think these are those moments in our life where we begin to reach out in some form. Maybe you come to that place where you say, you know what? I'm going to try church, or I'm going to go back to church, right? You take a step. You turn back towards the right direction. Or maybe you try praying, maybe even for the first time praying, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know what to say. What do we call God? And so you're wrestling with those thoughts, and maybe you try praying for the first time, and that's you taking a step from your situation towards the Father. Maybe you begin just wrestling with the idea of belief in general. It's risky to believe. It's risky to trust in Jesus. He's gonna call you to do things like go to the Philippines maybe, whoa. He's gonna call you to trust him with your finances and with your family, with your future. That's risky, isn't it? if you don't know the one in whom you're trusting. And so maybe that's where you are, and your step towards the Father is just saying, you know what, I'm wrestling with the idea of just faith in general. But I love, I love in this story that the Father journeys to us. This isn't about our journey back to the Father. It's just simply about turning and the Father's journey to meet us. And the major contrast in this parable is this, that the father reacts to the rebellious and unworthy son with compassion rather than rejection. I don't know if maybe some folks in the room may be in that place where you feel like God would want nothing to do with you. Maybe that's why you haven't turned back to the father. You feel so unworthy, so, maybe so dirty, so broken, so used up that God would want to have nothing to do with you. And so Jesus is telling you this story today that you might understand the love of the Father. There is nothing from your story, nothing from your past. There is nothing, there's no low place you could be such that God the Father would not respond to you with compassion if you turned to him. Does that not blow you away? I love my boys, but there are lines in the sand with my love. Love. This is a love with no lines in the sand, isn't it? This is an unconditional love. God says, just turn to me. That's it. And, in the, and, and look at what happens. Let's finish this together. And so the son, after the father kisses him, probably not sure how to respond, what's going on here in 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, Is that true? Yes. This son is no longer worthy to be called a son. He didn't just disobey one afternoon. He took all of his inheritance, his family name with him, and went out and wasted it all. And now he's got nothing. He's unworthy to be called a son. He's right there. But look at what the father does in verse 22. But the father said to the servants, I love the word quickly here. We're not going to wait and see how things go. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. It wasn't just because his clothes were dirty. This robe meant something. This this was the robe of the household, right? Saying what? You're not a hired hand. You're one of my sons. To take it a step further, not only did he put the best robe on him, he put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, the signet ring bearing the seal of the household. Think about that. Whatever this son stamped, the father stamped. This wasn't conditional acceptance, conditional love. The father was embracing this rebellious, unworthy son all the way back to what? Perfect restoration as a son. Completely. No strings attached, no lines in the sand, no conditions. You're mine. You're either mine or you're not. No probation period here, son. You're either mine or you're not. And right now, you are mine. And my sons don't dress like that. My sons bear my signet ring. My sons have feet, shoes on their feet. And then look at what he does. Verse 23. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Okay, there's something important about this. This was not just food from the fridge, okay? These households that had money and livestock were always fattening a calf to be butchered for a special occasion. What the father is saying is the special occasion is here. Don't go get this kid leftovers. He says to his servants, let's butcher the best of the best and let's throw a celebration. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate there isn't a, a hint of hesitation here now briefly remember there was a third character in the story the other son who stayed home who was faithful and obedient and appreciative now let's ask the question who is this kid Okay? I'll just tell you really quickly. This is the perfectly obedient child of God. Okay, So if that's you, that's your part of the story. And I'd love to meet you after this service. <laughs> We'd love to. Because you probably need to air some, some frustrations like this kid did. He's frustrated. He's jealous. He's envious. Are you kidding me? Why are we celebrating? And he comes to dad. What are we doing here? That's my little brother. That's the one who took all your stuff and blew it. And now right? We're celebrating. I love verse 32. The dad says to the perfectly obedient son, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, son, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. See, there's no, there's no place in this parable for in-between in this son's rebellion out doing what he wants to do to the father he was he was as, as good as dead and lost not because the father wanted him to be dead and lost but because that's what he chose for himself we have this loving compassionate father full of grief right i just want my son back hired hand are you kidding me i want my son back with such an expectation that he sees him from a long way off and he runs to greet him and he can't wait to make him his son again. To the jealous older brother, he said, what are you talking about? Your little brother was as good as dead and now he is alive. Now, one of the mistakes I think we make with this parable is that we tend to think of it as the Christian who's gone astray and comes back. I don't think at all this is what Jesus is illustrating. I think he's illustrating salvation here. The point in each of our stories when we come to the end of ourselves, the point we realize that on our own strength, we're as good as dead, we're as good as lost. And we can't in our own strength save ourselves. So what do we do? In desperation, in humility, we reach our hand up towards the Father. And you don't have to take much of a journey back to God before you find that he's already come to meet you, to greet you, to welcome you in, and to call you his own. What was described here in this parable, the Apostle Paul put so clearly in Ephesians 2. Listen to the Apostle Paul describe what has happened to those of us who have turned from our own way and trusted in Jesus. I believe this is Paul's interpretation of what Jesus is teaching in the parable. Ephesians 2 Verse four, but God being rich in mercy, God having mercy? No, God being wealthy in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. What kind of love? The kind of unconditional love that can only come from a father. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, What does he mean here? When we were doing our own thing, we were as good as dead, as good as lost. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And look at verse six. This is where the robe and the ring and the shoes come in. Not only that, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I got no idea what that looks like. But this is the point that Jesus is illustrating when when there's this huge celebration and the son who is dead is, is alive, and he's given a robe and a ring and shoes, and right? We've been seated with him in the heavenlies. If you're a Christian, that's happened for you. So that in the coming ages, about the future, about eternity, this is what's gonna happen in eternity if you're saved. In the coming ages, he being God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's rich, but we don't know how rich yet. When we've been there 10,000 years and God still hasn't kicked us out, right? Then we're going to be able to understand what Paul's getting at here. In the day, in the ages to come, the longer we are in eternity, the more we will be aware of how wealthy God is in his mercy. That's the point of the story the parable of the loving father. Now, we're gonna get a chance to hear a redemption story uh, for Brian Garcia. If you've not met this man or his wife, I encourage you to get to know him and to hear more of his story. If you guys are ready, let's go ahead and let's roll it.
1: And you do things that are really hard. I think it's a process. The closer you get to God, the longer your walk with God, the longer your understanding and love for God, the easier it becomes to do those things that He asks about or that He asks you to do. And that's uh, that's because of Christ. I never really had a, a Relationship with my my biological father, I guess you could say. Uh, And uh, as I got older, of course, that turned into rebellion. I was turned into uh, drugs and alcohol, and uh, eventually got into uh, gangs. And uh, so eventually, that kind of lifestyle uh, took me to prison, and I got out of prison. to doing everything that I've always done but I will still continue to do uh, drugs uh, still continue to be uh, really violent my mom ended up going back to Wichita Falls so I called her and uh, she, she told me that she had, had cancer uh, my mother had accepted the Lord So she was a Christian, and my mama told me a bunch of times about the Lord, um, but it went in one ear and out the other. Uh, I didn't want to be a Christian, but I think, I, I just don't think I was comprehending that my mother was going to pass, um, it just didn't it seemed like it was going to happen. <clears throat> I thought that you know she would uh, eventually pull out of it, or maybe the sky that she talked about what she was going to save her. But that didn't end up happening. Uh, she ended up passing away, and uh, I continued to get high, and. Uh, It was really difficult for me Uh, because all at one time my mother passed and things were really going bad in my life, I felt like I was harmed because it didn't matter where I went. in my life and uh, things that I've done to people and the way I treated people and the way I treat myself. But I started breaking down on the inside. And I, was, uh, I was crying a lot. Man, like, I, like I couldn't stop. Just this wave of So I didn't uh, I didn't know how, was, how I was gonna uh, I was gonna get out of this situation that I was in. And, uh, it was really hard. And, uh, I started crying. I guess he uh, I guess heard me and I'm what I was saying, but I think I was crying too much at the time feels like bad one. God allowed me to go through those things, and I'm sure he had to put them in motion uh, because uh, he knew my heart, he knew my mind, and he knew that he was just going to have to break me, you know, uh, this wasn't going to be no easy thing, uh, he was going to have to break me all the way down. I kind of been kicking the tires on Christianity, and uh, but I hadn't uh, taken that step to really uh, try to have that relationship with him and try to live that like that. I was saying, "Oh well, I believe in God, and uh, I can tell you why I believe in God." I need to make a statement. I need to get for real uh, about God. I need to put things behind me. I need to uh, take this seriously. Because you're either in or you're out. You're a believer. You don't. If you believe, then uh, you need to get saved. You need to uh, get baptized. You need to start living right. I didn't realize whenever I uh, was going to get saved, so many things that uh, he was going to have me change about myself and about uh, what I'm supposed to be doing and what I need to be doing. I thought you could just say, that "We believe the of God, and so it's all good." But that's not really the. That's not really what he. What it's about It's about uh, having a relationship with God and uh, talking to Him every day. And, his will be in your life. I've met a lot of uh, good men in the church uh, that have really helped me out. Uh, don't judge me. Uh, I was surprised to uh, hear that some of them, you know, uh, have, have the same struggles that I've had in my life. Uh, so, you know, uh, I thought that I would feel, feel alienated. I don't, I feel welcomed, I thought that I would be an outsider, Uh, but I'm not, I'm uh, part of a family, Uh, and it is a family that that, that will look out for you and correct you if you're wrong. love that I didn't know about before, and uh, I went from being really broken and alone uh, to having people in the church that care about me, uh, the elders and all left that guide me, fixing to marry a woman that's uh, on the same walk as I am, and that's a uh, proud beloved man like me. So God turned my life around. My name is Brian Garcia, and this
0: is my redemption story. Amen. 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 I appreciate Brian and all those who have shared their redemption stories. You know, Jesus said something um, publicly. Um, he was talking to the religious leaders, and he says that, I haven't come to those who are healthy, but I've actually come for those who are sick. And what Jesus was saying is that he didn't come to earth to call the righteous older brothers to himself, but he came to save the rebellious and desperate younger brothers. Those of us who have gone our own way, rebelled against God and come to the end of ourselves. Brian's story is a miraculous story of redemption from drug addiction, violence, gangs, prison, right? To a completely different identity as a son of God. A couple of things have happened in his life and since this video was shot. One, he's been married. Him and Yvette are now married and um, so excited about that. Um, but he's also received a diagnosis of cancer. And that's happened recently and I'm still not fully sure what that's gonna look like. But let me share this with you. Got a chance to pray with Brian a couple weeks ago. He asked the elders to pray over him and we were just talking with him before we prayed with him. And the primary thing he asked for was not that the cancer would go away and that he would be healed, but that his relationship with Jesus would stay strong. As a rebellious son who had been saved and adopted and healed and restored by the father, that's the main thing on his mind, walking into the struggle. So my question for you today is, have you come to that place in your journey as a rebellious son or daughter Maybe today for the first time you realize that you're much more desperate than you originally thought. That if you haven't come to the end of yourself yet, you quickly will. The end of your own ideas, your own strength, your own ability to make yourself happy. And today Jesus is saying, listen, just turn to me. But Jesus, I'm unworthy, that's right, come to me anyway. Jesus, I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be called one of yours, that's absolutely right. I haven't come to call those who are healthy and clean on their own, I've come to call the sick, the broken, the downcast, the desperate, the needy to myself. And if that's you, Jesus desires today to do a miracle in your life. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me now as our worship team comes back up. If each of you wouldn't mind just moving into a time of prayer with me, maybe you wanna close your eyes and just bow your head down to focus and think about what God may be saying to you today. And if you're here today and you realize that you you are the rebellious son in the story and you want nothing more today than to be embraced and kissed and welcomed in by the Father, I want to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to pray these exact words, but in your own heart, you could pray something like this. God, today, for the first time, I realize that you truly are a loving Father. And today I learned that you're not waiting for me to clean up my life, you're just waiting for me to come home so that you can clean me up. So today I wanna trust in Jesus and the work he's done for me on the cross I wanna lay down my trust in myself to take hold of the trust in Jesus. Father, please forgive me for I've sinned. Father, please cleanse me, I am dirty. Father, please welcome me into your home and call me yours. If that's you and you've prayed that prayer today or one like it, I'm gonna encourage you to let somebody know because we wanna celebrate. As we sing these next two songs, you could make your way to the back and talk to one of our prayer partners and let them know the decision you've made to become a Christian and ask them to pray with you. You may wanna go home and make a phone call to somebody who you know has been praying for you, maybe a mom or a a friend or somebody that you know would be excited to hear that today you gave your life to Jesus. For the rest of us here today, my hope would be that our affections for our loving Heavenly Father would be stirred. That once again, we would return to the goodness of his grace and mercy. That we, like Paul said in Ephesians 2, today would be more overwhelmed than we were even yesterday with how rich he is in mercy for us. We would stand to sing and to worship and to exalt his name. As we move into this next song, you're welcome to stay seated. You're welcome to grab one of our prayer partners. And you're welcome to stand to your feet and join us as we sing.